This episode deals with recent reports of gender-based violence in South Africa. Like similar news, it may be triggering. If you want to avoid descriptions of violence, you might want to skip this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of COVID in Africa, a podcast looking at the continental response to COVID-19, where we pursue the systemic and underreported issues underlying the coronavirus crisis and how it's changing people's behaviors and attitudes on the continent. In this episode, we will turn our attention to the increasing number of femicides in South Africa, especially in recent days following the lifting of some COVID-19 restrictions. I'm your host, J.D. Ramalab. Southern trees Barren, strange fruit Blood on the leaves And blood at the roots Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze When I first read the story about a woman whose body was found hanging from a tree in a field in a suburb of Johannesburg, South Africa, I could not help but recall African-American pianist and singer Nina Simone's rendition of the song, Strange Fruit, which spoke about public lynchings of black people between the 1860s and 1960s in the American South. Them big bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolia, clean and fresh. I could hear myself paraphrasing Nina Simone's words in a 1968 interview she gave about the song. Strange Fruit. It's a song about South Africa, really. It's about the problem between men and women in this country. Here is a fruit For the crows to pluck The rain together for the wind to suck. It's the ugliest song I've ever heard. It is ugly in a sense that it is violent and tears at the guts of what men have done to women in this country. It really opens up the wound completely raw when you think of a pregnant woman hanging from a tree. And 
When 28-year-old Sekhofatso Bule's body was found hanging from a tree, her gruesome, horrific, unimaginably horrendous murder made international headlines. What have we done to you guys? What have you done? Not only because of how she was killed, but also because the fact that she was pregnant did not inspire any mercy from her murderers. She was eight months pregnant, a fact which brought Sekhofatso's aunt Priscilla Diwa, who was delirious with pain, to her knees during Sekhofatso's funeral a week ago. As I go down on my knees today, I bow my head down. She began to beg. She begged the men at the service to forgive women for whatever crime they may have committed against them. If there's any mistake that I have done to you, give me a chance. Unfortunately, Tsekhofatso's story is not exceptional. She joins a long list of women who have died mercilessly at the hands of men. Men who were, more often than not, their intimate partners. Getting a call from a number that I don't know always makes my heart beat fast. And I am wondering, who is it and will I be able to help that person? That's the first thing that comes into my mind. That's Siam Tandanlela, a community activist from the Total Shutdown Movement, a national intersectional movement against gender-based violence. The other thing that comes into my mind every morning when I wake up and browse through my phone, I'm wondering who will I see in the headlines today? Who is dead today? Who has been hanged by the boyfriend today? It's such things that, I, that, that come into my mind on a daily basis, every morning actually. So it has messed us up mentally. She is based in the Eastern Cape. At times, she says, she has to go and physically rescue women herself, which has added to her trauma. At the beginning of lockdown in South Africa, civil society organizations warned domestic violence abuse cases could increase as people were forced to stay locked in with their abusers. And when government lifted the ban on the legal sale of alcohol under Level 3 conditions two weeks ago, the abuse skyrocketed, a 500% increase according to some estimates. Specific incidents that I have seen, it's getting phone calls directly from women who are being abused and who needs shelter. Um, and mostly it's by uh, partners who are intoxicated under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> and we have been having many rape cases reported to us. Uh, I was looking at the rape cases that I recorded last week. I had about 25 rape cases from the 1st of uh, June up until the, it was the 10th, up until the 10th of June. So it, it's, a, it's an increase compared to what we, were, we had before level three during the lockdown. And we have seen that there was a woman 
murdered in Ukumbu, which is in the Eastern Cape, not far from Tata in Libote. She was brutally murdered. And it's not just only those cases. There are other cases which might not get to me, which are femicide cases in rural areas because GBV also occurs in real rural areas, even though they, they, are, they end up being discussed by families and not brought to police for reporting. Siamtanda says she chose this line of work in order to be an advocate for women who can't speak for themselves. But she says the work can be draining especially when the same crimes keep happening over and over again. The burden is becoming too much to bear. I was telling a colleague of mine that it feels like every year there's this, this thing which comes into men's mind that tells them now is the time you should start killing. Every day we wake up with a case of a woman murdered by a man. So I seriously don't know what's happening in their minds. And it's like they have this trend that at, at, on a certain year, we're going to burn them. On a certain year, we're going to hang them. On a certain year, we, we're going to do this with them. So I seriously don't understand what's going on. Even though it's draining, it's exhausting that you have to do the same thing all over again. But we do it because we want to save each other. Even though some sectors of society have since asked the government to reinstate the alcohol ban to reduce the rate of femicides in South Africa, given Sigalkwe says banning alcohol is not the solution to ending gender-based violence in South Africa. Given is a communications strategist at Sonke Gender Justice, a nonprofit organization advocating for gender justice to achieve gender transformation. Any effective GBV prevention intervention needs to be multifaceted because GBV and its causes is multifaceted. At this current moment, a lot of people are blaming the spike on alcohol. Studies have shown that there is a connection between the abuse of alcohol and gender-based violence. But that is only one branch of the entire tree. Gender-based violence stems from, for example, the abuse of alcohol, but it also stems from toxic social behavior, but it also stems from our cultural practices. It also stems from some religious references. It also stems from our education systems, right? To be able to understand the nature of gender-based violence, we need to understand the different causes. We need to understand patriarchy and its role in informing toxic masculinity. A key component of the work of Sonke Gender Justice is to engage with men and boys, teaching them to feel their emotions and to normalize domestic chores. Boys are wrapped in toxic masculinity. Uh, and it's so subtle, but uh, boys then keep these uh, seemingly innocuous statements, seemingly innocuous practices, you know, till, till they've grown up. Something is, as innocuous and, and as harmless as uh, boys don't cry. You know, I mean, we all grew up like that. My, my, my parents told me that, that boys don't cry, but that's not true. And so as a parent, in that, in that moment, you don't understand the ticking time bomb that you are causing. Because from preventing a boy from crying, who knows how he's going to express those emotions 20 years later, you know? So we, we then find it important to engage boys because we realize that a lot of boys are raised uh, with toxic masculinity as the norm. Part of our work is, that is, is engaging young boys and teaching them 
um, that it's okay to cry. It's okay to be deemed soft. It's okay to wash dishes, you know? South Africa has the highest rate of femicides on the African continent, and it has the fourth highest murder rate of women in the world after El Salvador, Jamaica, and Guatemala. And I think I'll take the platform now to, to tell men that we need to be accountable. We need to be accountable. Uh, a lot of men are always annoyed by me when I say something like, we men need to stop killing women. And they ask me, what do you mean we? Because you didn't, uh, I also didn't. But we all, um, I suppose, we're all guilty in one way or another. I don't necessarily uh, have to murder a woman to be guilty of being a, part- a, a beneficiary of patriarchy. You know, so so as long as we may encourage patriarchy and keep patriarchy as it is because we benefit from it, I think we're all guilty. Hence, all men are trash for me has never been a a point of contest to contest. Part of why I did I'm doing the work that I and I'm passionate about the work that I do is that I feel unfortunately because of patriarchy, it is I have a role to play in engaging men because men tend to listen to each other for some reason. So Jade is not going to tell me anything, but maybe I can listen to Kevin, right? So for me, it was just realizing my position, positionality and trying to use that for the, you know, for the greater good. But like COVID-19, gender-based violence is not just an African phenomenon. Uh, not only in Africa, but the world. I mean, Spain has reported various cases of an increase in gender-based violence. The UK has increased, uh, has reported an increase. Uganda has reported an increase in gender-based violence. And for me, uh, from that research, it's interesting how the, the premises are the same. You have lockdown regulations that prevent women from accessing what they'd normally access under normal conditions. And having that taken away from them then leads to a greater exposure of, um, you know, uh, to um, gender-based violence slash IPV. So for me, it's not as much as the COVID-19 is a global pandemic, but I think this, what this period has also shown us is that um, gender-based violence is equally a global pandemic because even your most uh, advanced countries are not immune to the consequences of social distancing and isolation, etc. Earlier this year, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa announced that the government has reprioritized 1.6 billion rands to fight gender-based violence in the country. Through the National Response Plan, the government will support survivors and increase access to care and treatment. But given says throwing money at the problem is not the solution either. We live in a society where we outsource the responsibility of ending gender-based violence, either to to the survivor or to the justice system. So we live in these complexes, you know, these high gates, we live in these informal settlements, we live here and there, and a lot of us know people who are being abused. But we tend to think, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Jedi's going to do it. But Jedi's sitting there and thinking, no, Given's going to do it. And then eventually no one does anything. 
you know so first and foremost just starting with societies that we all have a part to play yes we have the different institutions your legal system etc but the the law and the police aren't our neighbors we're much closer to the actual events than law enforcement so firstly we have a responsibility as neighbors to ensure that we report uh, incidents of um, gender-based violence. We, we, we report um, incidents of abuse because what we tend to do is that when something t as tragic as death happens, we say, yeah, we knew it. We saw, but you could have done something, right? Since the lockdown, Sonka Gender Justice launched a campaign called Speak Out to encourage people in communities to report gender-based violence during lockdown. Which is why, when I saw a Facebook post by a former TV journalist and author of the book Beaten But Not Broken, Vanessa Tedder, asking a colleague in the media, former carte blanche investigative journalist Devi Sankari Gavinder, to stand with her and support her efforts to end gender-based violence, I decided to call her. Vanessa and I first met 19 years ago, at the beginning of my journalism internship at the South African Broadcasting Corporation, where she was already employed as a reporter. It is also where she met her then-partner and later abuser, who was a much-loved and popular Lotus FM DJ, but their relationship was punctuated by bruising punches, cracking slaps, relentless beatings, kicking and strangling, which was as ferocious as the emotional and verbal abuse he hurled at her. This is an extract of her message on Facebook. Dear Devi Sankari Gavinder, we have been work colleagues and even friends. You knew me from the days of Lotus FM. In fact, you were friends with my abuser and I. I confided in you in the smoking room of the SABC back then about what he did. Your response I remember was, leave him. But now I am asking you as a woman and someone who champions women's rights and human rights, will you stand with me? Will you use me to expose women abuse? You have first-hand knowledge of my story. Will you say his name with me? I asked her why she chose to go public with this message is it's face it the whole system is designed to make us feel like liars to make us feel like we're making up things i'm not stupid i'm a journalist you know and i'm thinking like one and i know you know if people and people with the prominence and influence say yes i was there i knew i saw i suspected you know it gives me a bit of courage to finally get that name out because I think I have reached that point where if I don't say his name, I am still imprisoned by him and I'm still afraid of him. And the journey to healing is not a clear-cut path. It's not, I've spoken out now, you know, Vanessa, get over it and move on. People were complicit back then mm. when they did nothing and they kept quiet and people are just as complicit now. 
Even though it's been well over 10 years since the abuse happened and Vanessa is now happily married with children, she says she still lives with the trauma. Because the man who abused her is a prominent member of society, she says she needs everyone who was there to stand with her and support her. A show of support, she says, will help her to heal and show other women that they will also be supported if they break the silence and name their abusers. You know, I'm not going to apologize if I'm going to get down on my knees and grovel or ask for help. I will do it. Um, you know, because it's in a large part for my healing. But I think, you know, do we want to see another another young woman strung up from a tree? Do is that? I mean, is that what we want to see? Is that is that what we're becoming used to? Get angry for a second, and then tomorrow we move on. Those things will stay with me and maybe with with other people who've been in a situation and who have walked out. There are f- f- families who must go on without these, without their children, without their daughters, without their sisters. And I'm not sorry for asking for help. I'm not sorry for asking. Please back me up. I'm not sorry because I know if I say his name, I know what will happen. I know he will come after me. And I have children and I have a family. And of course, I'm afraid. And I'm always going to be afraid. And part of me realizes for as long as I don't say his name, he still has the power of anonymity. And if something happens to somebody in my family, how do I ever live with that? Given says the most important thing is prevention. The moment you feel uncomfortable, those are enough grounds for you to, you're allowed to feel a particular way and you're allowed then to therefore act. Because if you use people's interpretations of things, people will tell you, ah, maybe that's not, that's nothing. Ah, that's nothing. But the, the reality is in most cases, when you find this woman being brutally murdered, the perpetrator didn't wake up on that day and just ask the woman. It's over time. You know, so I think my advice would be let's not wait for the final tragedy, which is death. So the little minute things are worthy of being alarm bells for you to do something and act on on on, on them. So as with COVID-19, the cure for gender based violence is in your hands. That's all we have time for on COVID in Africa this week, a podcast brought to you by Sound Africa. As always, we welcome your feedback on all our episodes, so please do get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our newsletter by going to our website at www.soundafrica.org. We'd love to hear from you. 
Story editing was done by Brittany Kesselman. Sound editing was done by Rasmus Bits. Music is Strange Fruit by Nina Simone and Matota Sabelani by Louis Okijana, composed in response to the recent spate of femicides. I'm JD Ramalapa. Merci, Jerejev. Muito obrigado. Shukran Jezilin. Asante sana. Payadanki. Enkosi siabonga. Realibog. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and sound.